Hello everyone and welcome to Cubs on Tap, brought to you by ontapsportsnet.com and presented by Manscaped. If you're looking for the best manscaping products on the planet, go to manscaped.com. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com and browse their awesome selection. And I'm telling you, it is awesome. It includes everything from the Lawnmower 3.0 to the Crop Cleanser to Refined Cologne, the Plow, and so much more. The Lawnmower 3.0, as I brought up, brings you 7,000 RPMs, yes, 7,000 of skin-safe technology so you don't nick your family jewels or any other sensitive areas. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I've been using Manscaped products for about two years now, and anything from the the plow to the lawnmower 2.0 um, and now the lawnmower 3.0 uh, incredible products from manscaped and i highly highly recommend it for any man and ladies if you have a, a man in your life that you're looking to take care of in this holiday season this is the perfect opportunity and boys do you want to keep your boys fresh all day long well let me tell you we got that is not a problem go and pick up the crop preserver and crop reviver so you're fresh 24 7 I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not intrigued already, you're going to be now. Go to manscaped.com, as I mentioned before, and use promo code ONTAP, that's O-N-T-A-P, to get 20% off and free shipping. That is unbelievable. A great deal in this holiday season. So once again, promo code ONTAP to get 20% off and free shipping on all of your manscaping needs. Thank you so much to Manscaped, and please enjoy the show. Hey, hey, Cubs fans, and welcome to the brand new edition of Cubs on Tap. I am one of your co-hosts for the evening, Ron Luce. I am joined tonight by Cubs on Tap contributor Joe Kilgallen, and we have a very special guest with us tonight. You know him probably on Twitter as the prospect guy, Brian Smith uh, from Bleacher Nation is joining us tonight. So gentlemen, I'll, I'll turn the floor to you guys. How are you guys both doing tonight? I'm great. But I want to hear about Brian because Brian's been working his ass off compiling Cubs prospect list. Getting me excited, Brian. You're getting me excited, bud. Yeah, we're starting to starting to see some reason for optimism for the longer term future. I think we're just uh, we got to do a little more work trying to get everyone optimistic about 2021. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like that expands just beyond Cubs baseball too, right? Just trying to get everybody optimistic yeah. about the year 2021, but. No, Brian, I mean, obviously, you know, thank you to you for, for jumping on with us. You're, you're always such a great time to talk to. You have so much knowledge uh, about the Cubs farm system. And, you know, it really feels like um, this Cubs farm system is kind of coming back into, dare I say, relevance in terms of just the amount of high-end talent that feels like it's very close or maybe even guys that we might even see a little bit in 2021, and we certainly want to pick your brain on that at some point. But you mentioned about you know people getting excited about 2021, but obviously we're you know rolling through the off season right now. Uh, would love to get your take, just you know maybe just a high level of you know kind of some of the things that maybe you know you have maybe the most opinion on, or whether it was the most shocking to you, or different things like that so far um, in terms of you know what the Cubs have done to this point. Well, I think there's so much defeatism out there, at least in the social media circles that we run in about the, the state of the team. And I guess my 
my sort of perspective about the whole thing is that we're jumping the gun a little bit. If, if you look at this off season, I mean, it's December 16th, but we really haven't gotten started at all across the entire league. Only a handful of free agents have signed, haven't really dipped into the trade market at all. And so I think more than anything, you see league-wide, these teams are just waiting for a variety of reasons, but I think the most of which is to see how many games they might have fans in the stands for in 2021, and that's going to have a direct impact on the budget um, that teams can have. And the Cubs have got the budget down. I think they're at about $159 million in guaranteed contracts out to guys, which is down about $50 million from last year. And so, yeah, I think the budget will come down, but will it come down Fifty, sixty million. I think we'll have to see. And if it only has to come down thirty million, well, now we have twenty million dollars to spend. That I think people are really uh, ignoring the possibility of the Cubs being players, at least in sort of the the medium to low end tier of the free agent market. So that's what I'm looking for: is just a little more patience from people and uh, and let this thing play out. And then, trust me, by the time late January, early February runs around, if if we want to complain about this team, we'll have plenty of time to do so before the season starts. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I, I want to see some patience. We've heard so much about how January is the new December, and I think more so than ever with go- with what's going on with the pandemic, and now we hear about the vaccine, and maybe baseball will push it back to May because people are guessing that everybody could get it by April. So if everyone could get it by April, by maybe if the season starts May 1st, we could have fans in the stands, and I think that gives the Cubs a better outlook like I really do think that if we knew that there could be fans in the stands the Cubs would probably they're still going to be below the salary cap because they don't want to pay Lux tax for a third year in a row I believe so that's a given but you're right if if they've got 20 million to play with there's enough out there in short-term guys that could make the Cubs competitive in 2021 and then those contracts could roll off like you signed a couple one two-year deals to buy yourself time for the Brennan Davises to hit and maybe I don't know June of 2022. I'm not really sure his timeline because, again, we lost last year of a minor league season. But I really think there's enough out there in like those short one to two year contracts that can make 2021 a fun year and then not affect the future going forward in 2022, 2023, and so forth. So that's what I, I'm going to agree with you, Brian. I really think if I could just add one more thing to that, just kind of piggybacking off your thought about the patience, it is frustrating being on Twitter a lot. And seeing people just with this "woe is me" approach, where it's like two big names have signed, if that. What? Not not pretty much all the big names are still out there. I mean, who's the biggest name to have signed so far? Probably Charlie uh, Morton, I would think. Charlie Morton, I guess, one yeah. year deal. The only four year deal I've seen is James McCann. I mean, there's just a lot out there, and I just wish I love the Cubs fan base so much, obviously, but I prefer them in person at a ball game when there's hot dogs and beer because get them all behind their phones and computers. Not all of them, of course, I'm generalizing, but they've definitely become this whole woe is me and we suck again, where it's like we just won the division. Everyone's acting like we're coming off of the Mike Quaddy Cubs. I mean, we just won a division. Let's let's have some optimism here. It's just, I don't know, it breaks my heart sometimes. And just, there's a lot of pessimism about their ability to thread the needle, and that, that term has been used so much, and I feel like you know, we ignore the fact that in a lot of ways they threaded the needle in 2020. They won the division despite not spending in the offseason. And so, you know, I think depending on what your definition of threading the needle is, I think the, the Cubs have been pretty astute at that during a time where they haven't been able to spend much. 
And so if they just roll that over for one more year, if they can thread that needle again, win another division, have a fun, competitive team, then next year the financial flexibility they'll have will be very significant. I mean, all the money comes off the books, essentially, except for Darvish and Hayward. And then, you know, I assume at that point fans will be back in the stands. There's no reason this team probably won't have a $200 million payroll again. And and then we'll be players in every free agent discussion that, that Jed Hoyer wants to be a part of. And so I think... I do think pessimism has gotten a little out of control. I think it's hard to watch you know, the Miami Marlins come into your house and, and beat up on you, and that frustration can boil over for a couple months. I understand it, but I think that uh, things are definitely not as bleak as they appear in social media. Yeah. No, 100%, and, and I agree with the two of you. I mean, you know, Joe can can attest to this. We've talked about it at nauseum here at Cubs on Tap. We're very much in the same boat as you, Brian. Right? I think everybody is, you know, saying, "Yeah, you know, is maybe is this team going to be different? Look, are they going to be substantially better than they were last year? Maybe not, but better. I mean, last year was still a division winning team. So it's like, you know, they're still good enough to compete. They're still good enough to win the division in twenty twenty one even if it is a down year and then, you know, a really good free agency class in that 2021-22, you know, off season plus money to spend. And, and, you know, as you said, Brian, all of a sudden the Cubs are going to be players and in discussions with whatever free agent that they actually want. And, and speaking of free agents, right. That, you know, we mentioned currently are still out there. There's tons of guys out there. George Springer's still out there. Uh, Trevor Bauer's still out there. You know, obviously we mentioned the, the very few names have signed to this point, a name that has been thrown around the last few days, kind of in the rumor mill, um, and identified with the Cubs is Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, and you know, for anybody that maybe isn't familiar with him, you know, maybe if you just kind of exclusively follow the Cubs and don't really pay attention too much to the AL, very good defensive center fielder. He's been an absolute stud out there in Boston for many years. He had a couple down years um, in 18 and 19. Rebounded actually really nicely at the plate in 2020, as well as defensively. His defensive run saved actually went back up. Um, you know, I think he was like five defensive runs saved last year. Um, granted, this is a guy that at one point in time was you know mid-teens in defensive runs saved on a yearly basis. But um, you know, he got his his numbers back up at the plate. He had a I want to say it's a 119 WRC plus last year. So uh, you know, above league average hitter again. Um, you know, and this seems like a guy that kind of fits what the Cubs w- want to do because. You know, right, you can slide Ian Happ over to left field. You put Jackie Bradley out there in center, and you already have Jay Hay out in right. Assuming that Happ and Hayward have comparable years to 2020, all of a sudden that outfield not only is going to get the job done at the plate, but they're arguably one of the best defensive outfields in the entire league. So, Brian, I, I, I saw that you had a couple you know, takes on, on the Jackie Bradley Jr. rumors, and Joe, I'd love to you know, hear you pitch in, obviously, as well. But what do you think about you know, the JBJ and how that fit would be with the Cubs, uh, given you know, the current state of the roster? So I agree with you that the outfield would look would look really good defensively with Happ and left, Bradley and center, Hayward and right. I think the one thing that worries me a little bit is you have three guys there that are very, very platoon. Um, I'm not going to call them platoon hitters, but they, but they skew heavily towards hitting right-handed pitching and struggling against left-handed pitching. And, I, you know, the whole team overall last year, it was one of the worst Cubs teams in history against left-handed pitching, the worst in a hundred years. And so to add another player that's that 
skewed and that really, I mean, Bradley, I think you really don't want to play him at this point in his career against lefties at all. So what I've said is that if Chris Bryant's going to be around on this team and is a guy that you can move to left field against left-handed pitchers, move Hap back to center, you know, maybe you play Hayward, maybe you bring in a guy to occasionally spell Hayward and right against lefties, then I kind of like the versatility and complexion of that roster and you can bring Bradley back in the late innings as a defensive replacement. If you're going to trade away Bryant, who who still even last year in the struggles was one of the better bats against left-handed pitching, then this team is really going to struggle against Southpaws and you're signing up for something that, you know, I don't know how significant that is over 162 game schedule, but to give yourself that weakness that, you know, everybody can see coming out of the gate would worry me a little bit. So that's sort of my one reservation going in. Yeah, I agree with you there. Our, I thought of the two big things that were so glaring with the Cubs offense, and not just in 2020, feels like, it, and honestly, it feels like even past the Cubs winning the World Series. I cannot remember. I think Bush was in office the last time I remember the Cubs consistently hitting lefties. Whenever I see that we're facing some weak lefty whose fastball can't break glass, I'm like, all right, this is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a bad day for the Cubs. So I don't know what's going on with that. But I don't want... I love his glove. I like him as a player, but I don't see him as a fit for the Cubs the way we presently are because he's not a high contact guy. I know he's about, he was below league average last year, but he's still around 25, 26% K rate for his career hits fastballs really well, which we can use more guys who could hit, you know, high velocity. But like you were saying, he just doesn't hit lefties enough, not enough high contact, not enough. I almost think we'd be better off spending several million less on like a, a Pilar in center field. You could still move Hap over to left. And then with the savings, you know, go get yourself another high contact bat. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that gives you Tommy Lestella at second. And then you could use, you could start Nico at triple A to give him more bats consistently or have him as a super utility. I'm not really sure. I just don't really, I'm not quite as sold on Jackie Bradley Jr. as Some people on Cubs Twitter are. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I mean, both of you bring up fair points. I'm thankful that you guys are both number whizzes because I can't spit facts out that quickly. <laughs> I like to think I can sometimes, but that is impressive. But no, that's a good point, right? I mean, I, I, Joe, I like your analogy about Bush being in office the last time Cubs hit lefties because it's so true, right? It's like you see the projected, you know, pitchers for the next day and you look this guy up that you never heard of before. You know, his fastball sits, you know, 91 maybe at best and, you know, throws a lot of off-speed stuff and you literally just laugh and go, the Cubs are going to score one run at best today. Like, Gio Gonzalez. Remember Gio Gonzalez in 2019 and 2018 against him? We made that guy look like Sandy Koufax, and he is not. Every other team lit that dude up that one year, I remember. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, whenever the Cubs faced Gio Gonzalez, they looked lost. And that's why I so badly want us to just go out there and be like, you know what? Okay, you hit four. I mean, that guy doesn't exist. But whoever hits the highest off of lefties, just sign him. I don't care how much he wants. Give him that money because I'm sick and tired of watching us just struggle against just these bum lefties. It's embarrassing. These again, these yeah, guys. I mean, Kevin Pillar is a really good example, Joe. I mean, you 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 said the name. I think on the at least the part of the free agent class that the Cubs are probably playing in that that is that guy, a guy who's elite defensively, just like Bradley. And, and really does a nice job against lefties. So it wouldn't shock me at all if Kevin Pillar is a name they go after. But I actually also wouldn't be surprised if they were thinking about trying to get Bradley and Pillar if the dollars made sense, you know, based on 
what we talked about earlier with where the budget might go to. If you put those guys together in a platoon and then, you know, you could spell an outfielder here or there, you have four good outfielders. Now that's a, that's a roster that I think is, makes a lot more sense, but Bradley by himself, not so sure. I, I agree with Joe. I think Kevin Pillar might be a better fit. I'm so glad, Brian, that you said that because actually that was going to be my next question was if the dollars make sense, do you then consider bringing those guys in to be kind of a tag team platoon as your, you know, you know, alternating center fielders and then the other guy is your fourth guy that can, you know, spell half and left one day, can spell Hayward and right one day. I mean, all of a sudden now you have, it feels like probably the most complete outfield that the Cubs have had maybe since that 2016 team when you still had guys like Ben Zobrist who could play out there. I mean, obviously KB can you know take a couple days out left or right if you wanted him to over the course of 162. Um, hell, Wilson you, even. I was gonna say if you want to get really crazy, you can have Willie go out there and play left field a couple times. Uh, maybe not in right field. We saw that experiment. Oh yeah, that was game. ugly. But but he played a lot of left field in that 2016 season and and he held his own. So um, I, I think I, I really love that idea. So I'm actually again very happy that you brought that up, and I think that would make sense. I've always been a big Kevin Pillar fan too. Um, I just really enjoyed watching him in Toronto because of how good he was defensively. You know, everybody called him Superman out there and, you know, he's making these crazy diving catches and, you know, he's winning gold gloves and like, that's just the kind of guy that the Cubs need in center. And, 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 you know, Brian, like you said, right, that's, that's probably the, you know, the, the level of the sandbox that the Cubs are playing in, in terms of free agency, because they're not trying to spend, you know, $18 million a year on a player, you know, to come in and, you know, be your everyday center fielder. So, um, certainly a big fan of that idea. And, you know, kind of while we're at it, I mean, you know, we've, we've touched on a lot of those names, Brian, obviously, you know, we, we would love to hear from you now and, and kind of turn our heads a little more to the prospects. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are asking, right. Especially now, you know, we, we don't know the certainty of the season coming up. We don't know if the Cubs are going to really be able to spend that 20 million cushion that we think they might have, um, you know, until things become more certain. So, in the meantime, you know, maybe just right out the gate, is there one or two names that you have off the cusp that are guys that meaningfully, at least maybe after, you know, say June 1st or some, you know, in the summertime that we could see come up and make some sort of impact on this team in 2021? Or are we, as Cubs fans, should we be preparing ourselves to say, hey, maybe we might see one or two of these guys for September call-ups, but then these are all 2022 guys? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to put Adbert Alzali aside. I think that, you know, he's a guy that the Cubs are now slotting into their rotation. You know, I think that he ended the season well enough that, that we almost don't need to consider him a prospect anymore. So I don't think he really even fits in your question, but Agreed. as far as guys beyond him, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're going to have a guy that's there June 1st, you know, banging on the door that, that we're going to sort of need to call up it. That's hard to, that's hard to forecast right now. That AAA roster I, I like in terms of providing injury depth to the major league team. It doesn't have that sort of banger prospect that you're just clamoring to get up. I think the one name that might, that might, have a chance at that is Braylon Marquez. We saw him, you know, last game of the season. He obviously looked pretty nervous. He's a guy that has always started really slow. He's he started slow uh, in 2018. He they they kept him in extended spring training. His 
fastball velocity really popped. He went to Eugene, was fantastic. 2019, he starts in South Bend, cold weather, has a really rough April, half of May with his control. He locks in, has one of the best summers a Cub prospect has had in a long time. This year, the Cubs have even come out and said he gets to South Bend. He was a little out of shape, which I think you can understand as he didn't have access to a ton of um, good weightlifting opportunities and stuff in the Dominican during the pandemic. But um, then September came around and they felt good enough about him to call him up. So he's a guy that I want to believe is going to show up to spring training, hungry, ready, believing that he is the caliber of player that I think he is. But I also, I, I wouldn't want to forecast that because what history tells us is he's a lot more likely to be a guy who's ready in August than in June. Yeah, I don't want them to rush him. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you, though. I think he's going to show up like ready to go, ready to prove himself. You know, as a comedian, you get when you get a taste of something big, like I remember when I was coming up and you bomb, that all you want to do is be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to fucking show you. You get, you get like, you get pumped up. And I feel like he probably viewed that, you know, taste. He got a little taste at, you know, last game of the season against the White Sox. Granted, no crowd there, but I'm sure he kind of felt that pressure because, you know, I'm sure they were trying to compete in South Bend and, you know, the, what were they calling it? Like the uh, offsite or whatever it was something. I don't know what the term was for it. Satellite site, I think. There you go. Satellite. Thank you. But again, how much adrenaline is really pumping? I know he was, it was probably a lot of working on stuff with him from his standpoint. We know players who were down there. I listened to Ian Hap's podcast and those dudes were like, man, this guy's got a major league arm and it's just wild stuff. But you know, I think you probably going to get a little nervous, right? There's a, you know, the Cubs had just clinched the day before. Everyone's like, what's up, kid? So I, th- I think you're right, though. I think he's going to just show up in the best shape and just kick an ass. But if I could backtrack to talk about Adbert for a second, he's the guy yeah. I am pumped for. I think people are overlooking him. I hear people say, oh, Hendricks and you, that's all we got. I'm like, just just watch. Watch Adbert because that the movement he added to that slider and how nasty. People forget. That last game, sorry I'm rambling here, guys, but that last game of the regular season against the White Sox, that was like a must-win for the White Sox. That was a big game for them. They were desperately trying to win that game, and he was making a great lineup look bad. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that prospect outlets do terrible at, you know, and I'll even, you know, call out the the big boys that I've that I've um, briefly worked at in the past, like uh, Baseball America, Baseball prospectus, fan graphs, all those things where those outlets struggle the most is older prospects who've been around a long time, who you already have really good scouting reports on when something changes with those guys, it's really hard to see prospect outlets update their perspective on those guys and, and give them a fair due to where they're at currently. And Alzali is that guy. He adds a slider this year in addition to, to a, two-seamer that, that I, was pretty good, but I think the slider is the pitch that really changes everything, and I think there's no reason he shouldn't be in the conversation to be a top 100 prospect in baseball, if not better. I think he'll be in the rookie of the year conversation next year, and he, you just don't hear about him enough because people feel like he's this known commodity, but he's not because he is not the pitcher he was two years ago. That slider we saw in Chicago that day, in Pittsburgh in a start there, uh, it, it's just a, a pitch that changes everything for him and really increases his upside. Yeah. Damn. So you hear that round rookie of the year conversation. See, I know this is why I you know. get Brian on. I'm pumped. I, I I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I think he 
kind of as a, a testament too, right, to this Cubs organization now and how they're developing pitchers with the pitch lab, right? I mean, because they've even said like, hey, he worked really hard in the pitch lab to develop this slider. And then like you guys both said, he comes out and he puts it on display. And you're just like, oh my God. It's like, that was not there last year. Like that was, that wasn't even a figment of anybody's imagination. So yeah. I agree. I, I think he went under the radar. I think he would have been getting more attention going into 2021 had 2020 been a full 162 game season. Cause I think we would have seen him start more than twice. Right. I mean, he, he probably would have had maybe five, six spot starts. Maybe he would have done more long relief, you know, if they decided to do like a bullpen day or something of that nature, you know, so maybe the narrative would be a little different where people would be like, okay, we see the improvement. We don't know what his full ceiling is, but we're like, okay, we're, we're getting there. But I, I agree with both of you guys. I think he is absolutely getting slept on. And I think, this year as a rookie, I think he slides in very nicely to the four, but I, I think he can be as high as a three or even a two at some point in his career, especially once he, you know, really starts to just get into a groove and he pitches more often and just, you know, continues to work on, the, you know, that wicked slider that he has now. I mean, that's going to be his put-away pitch. I mean, that's going to be like the Kerry Woods hook up too. was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's going to be like Kerry Woods hook was for him back in the day. It's like you feel like if he's just going to throw that and you know it's coming, and good luck hitting it because – uh, the thing for him is going to be just if he can stay healthy. It's it's something that he's struggled with for the last three four seasons, and mm-hmm. you know he's he's got to prove that he can be that guy that that at least gets to maybe the hundred and twenty inning mark. I think no matter what, he you're always going to see him as a guy that that's a little more moderate in terms of usage, not a guy that you're going to want to let lineups face a third time. But that's fine. That's where baseball is right now. I think you know you watch the playoff. He he's fits right into what teams like Tampa Bay and, and the Dodgers are doing. You you have him start a game, you have him face 18 batters, you get him out, and you and I think you're pretty happy with the results. But even that, even even just taking the ball every five days to face 18 batters, he's still got to prove that he can do that. That's sort of the one the one last thing stopping him from from being a guy that I think we're uh, we're boasting all around the city about. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's interesting that if I could just um, ask you about this, because this has been on my mind. I'm sure, Ron, you probably thought of this too. The whole third time through the order thing with pitchers and everything like that, and, you know, the whole the whole Snell issue and everyone being, you know, in Tampa being mad about that, which they probably have some good reason to. If that's the direction baseball is going in, I kind of have wondered why the Cubs haven't looked at the approach they had in 2015 where they had Trevor Cahill had yeah Trevor Cahill they had Clayton Richards um or Richardson I can't believe I'm forgetting his last name Clayton but Richard yeah Clayton Richard thank you and there was one or two other guys that they kind of used as like guys who would come in and throw two to three innings out of the pen I would like to see them almost take a couple of these starters who are looking to get back in teams good graces these reclamation projects and try to make them that type of guy where it's like all right what why don't you come in and be a guy who could go the sixth seventh and eighth inning like like these fireman style um, you know, bullpen spots. Cause I, I really think if that's the, the way baseball's going, cause most we forget a lot of relievers are failed starters anyway. So why not try to see if we could bring these guys in to do that? They'll be cheap. Yeah. I think Carlos Rodon from the White Sox is a really good example of a guy good who call. I think his stuff would really play up in relief. And, you know, if he wants to be a starter, maybe you can meet him halfway in the middle and say, hey, we're okay with you being a starter, but we're going to do it for four innings. So can you let can you let loose? Can you let the fastball get back to 93-94? Let that slider, you know, get back to its previous form? I think I think being a little, taking their 
um, new age approach to pitching and now applying it to sort of in-game theory, I think would be a good, uh, a good thing. Nice. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's something interesting to consider too, right? Because like I'm looking right now at, at the, you know, the Cubs top 30 prospect list and, and a lot of these guys that they've drafted over the years. And it feels like a lot of these guys maybe fit that mold. And, and obviously, Brian, please correct me if I'm wrong, because you are by far the expert here. But maybe guys like a Tyson Miller, like a Justin Steele, like a James Norwood. I feel like some of these guys that are in the 20s, you know, even late teens in the Cubs, you know, pecking order right now with prospects could really be guys that could come in and be that kind of guy. Maybe like a Michael McAveen. To me, I think he probably projects more as like an actual closer at some point or like a setup guy more so than like a multi-inning guy. But, you know, I, and Brian, I know Justin Steele's a guy that I've, I've seen you mention quite a few times this offseason. So what is your thought about some of those guys? Like, could a Tyson Miller come in and maybe be that kind of two, three inning type guy that come out of the pen this year? Or maybe even like a Norwood or even, you know, a Justin Steele? No, I think you're right. I think, I mean, if you look at the pitching prospects across the across the top 30, 40 prospects, you see it, a lot of guys, the Cubs have a lot more velocity than we've ever been used to in their farm system. I think I, 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 I probably could count maybe eight guys in their top 40 prospects who, who have touched 98 or above, probably four guys who've been near 100. And only two of those guys are really sh- total short inning relievers right now. So, you know, whether it's somebody like Braylon Marquez or Ryan Jensen, who I have bigger hopes for at, as starters, but maybe they become multi-inning relievers or somebody like Luke Little, who they just drafted, or Michael McAveen, guys who some people think of as short relievers, but who do have the arm strength to pitch multiple innings. Maybe they fit there. And I think Justin Seals is a great example. He's, he's somebody that, that I have earmarked for the bullpen because I think he'd be really nasty there, but he's always been a starter. And so you might as well keep him a little stretched out and see where he fits best. He could be, you know, somebody who offers you both the possibility of middle relief and sort of mop up innings in those games that get away from you, but also somebody who can come in and get a tough lefty out. So yeah, I think, I think just taking the pitching staff and making and adding a lot of versatility to it, I think is a good idea. Dwayne Underwood is a guy who's starting Mm -hmm. tomorrow in Puerto Rico in the winter league. And, you know, maybe that's a guy that, that you know they think about as as an opener sometimes if they even want to go that route I and mean, it's you know I think they can they can uh, add more versatility and and uh, apply a little less traditional convention to their pitching staff as the as these prospects start to come more integrated into Chicago. Yeah, I liked what you had to say about Underwood in one of your tweets today. I believe it was yeah, it had been today. He needs to get the home run rate down because his swing and miss, he, he gets a lot of uh, bats to miss, which is awesome to see, especially out of the bullpen. But sometimes, damn, he leaves pitches fat, and uh, they go a long way. So if he could really just bring that home run on rate down, then I could I could really like what he could bring in the bullpen. Yeah, he's someone I've, I've gone back and forth with over the years, and I, I definitely – I don't feel strongly, I guess, that he's a long-term solution in Chicago, but, you know, 11, 11 Ks per nine last year, you gotta, you gotta give him some props for that. And I think at the very least, we know he's gifted enough to make, to be in the major leagues and to have earned his spot. And so now you just got to figure out a way to tinker the stuff and, and find the best way to use him. 
God. Yeah, the funny thing is, I like talking bullpen, but it's one of my least concerns for some reason. I really have gotten a lot yeah. of confidence with what the Cubs did last year. I mean, I think it's it's weird. People have such a bias over first impressions. Yeah, the bullpen looked a little sh- the the bullpen looked the shakiest when the Cubs went thirteen and three, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And then after that, I relied on them. They were so, I mean, even Kimbrell after the first like two weeks was so uh, like he was his old shutdown South and he have like two K's every outing for like 12 outings in a row or something. He was dominant. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, so I'm not worried about the bullpen. They've gotten really good at at finding those lower end arms and making good use of them. I mean, Jason Adam is a guy who, the first game he, he got called up and pitched in. I, I watched him and he's got that sort of short arm kind of, you know, he, I think he might be a catcher that got converted to pitcher and he certainly sort of looks like it. He fits that yeah. sort of mold of a weird delivery. And the first time I saw him, I, I did not get it. I was like, hey, what are the Cubs seeing? And then you see what the spin rate numbers are off, off the charts. I mean, some of the best in the majors. And then the more that you kind of watched him, you saw that, the Cubs had made some huge changes with slider and change up and, and he was nasty. And now, I mean, I think going into the season, you know, he's probably the seventh inning guy. And to be honest, I feel fine about it. I, I feel pretty good about what the Cubs do in that department. So I agree with you. I think the bullpen will be fine. And I think the Cubs do have enough arms in the minors that you get a couple injuries. They'll be able to figure out who's, who's pitching the best in triple a and, and put them in a position to succeed in a way that they didn't that often during the Joe Madden era. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, Brian, obviously, you know, like Joe said, right, I feel like it's been a while that we can say that the bullpen might actually not be a concern for the Cubs. Um, You know, obviously, I think there's still people up in the air. I saw, you know, there's rumors that Ryan Tapera, the Cubs are still interested in bringing him back, even though they non-tendered him and and let him leave. Um, You know, as well as who knows what happens with a guy like Jeremy Jeffress. So there's, there's still some question marks. But again, you know, the, the quality of arms that they have in that bullpen, I think a lot of people feel very comfortable about. So, I, you know, I'm really intrigued to hear kind of what you have to say then about some of these starters potentially down the road. I know you mentioned Ryan Jensen as a name, um, first-round pick from a few years ago. Um, I want to say out of Fresno State, I believe is where he played, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, you know, but wh- who are some other guys? Because, I mean, he, you know, he's a friend of the program for us, but a guy like Cole Franklin I know is a very, you know, big arm in the, in the Cubs system right now. Um, obviously, I think everybody knows what the general opinion is on a guy like Braylon Marquez right now. But, you know, even some of these other guys, maybe like a Corey Abbott, maybe like a Riley Thompson. You know, what? who do you kind of look at, you know, when you look at up and down this farm system right now and say, oh, yeah, that guy has a shot to be, you know, a legitimate starter for this Cubs team in, you know, maybe 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to double up on a couple of the names you said because I think that the, I think the two guys that the Cubs will be so keyed in on in 2021 to watch all their minor league starts and see, you know, what came of their 2020 development behind the scenes are Cole Franklin and Ryan Jensen. They're probably going to start in high A together. Um, they're two guys that are buddies and I know have worked out a little bit together in 2020 and are getting better together and. Um, they are the two guys in the system behind Braylon Marquez that have real sort of number two or better upside. Uh, Cole Franklin is tall, more traditional type. He, he's got one of the better change-ups that, that you'll see for a teenager, or he did for a teenager uh, in the Northwest League in 2019. 
and has made a lot of strides with his curveball. And, and he's a guy that when he puts on weight, you just know it's going to add right to the fastball velocity. So he's a guy that, that should have three good pitches in 2021. And in time, I think he'll go the Alzali route where they'll add the slider when the timing's right. And, and he'll, ha- he'll be a pretty complete pitcher. But Ryan Jensen is my guy. He's, he's the one that I think um, everyone's sleeping on in terms of of real upside in this system because he's not a super traditional guy. He's short. He's probably, he's probably not even six feet tall. I think he's listed at maybe six one, but it's a total lie. Um, but he's a <laughs> superb athlete. He's a former shortstop. Um, and he's just got that super live arm. Cubs fans are going to watch him and think rich Harden all day. Um, mm. and, and I think that that's apt. And, uh, he's somebody that I think, gets profiled as because he's short and throws really hard. Everyone says reliever, reliever, reliever. And I think it's not true. I think he's going to show that he's a guy that sustains his velocity late in the games. And I think he's going to come up next year, be fantastic, be a top 100 prospect going into 2022 and, and really change the way that people think about him. I mean, he touched 100 miles per hour, I know. Actually, when he, I think he was with Cole Franklin and Brendan Davis working out together in Oklahoma, and, mm-hmm. and he touched a hundred when he was there. So I mean, he's he's got a, an insanely live arm for somebody as small as he is, and and I think people are just going to love watching him pitch. Some of those short dudes, you think of like a Billy Wagner, and you mentioned Rich Harden too. I, yeah. I don't know how they they do it. They it's they just got that torque, you know, and it looks nasty when it comes out too. Man, I want to touch 100. That's what we got to do. We got to have one of these guys who throws 100 miles an hour on this podcast, and I want to know how awesome that feels. Like, how cool do you feel knowing that you could hit triple digits? Yeah. You ever asked him that, Brian? (laughs) Uh, I've definitely asked about the moment of touching 100. I know Michael McAveen's a guy who, when when the NCAA tournament started in his junior year at Louisville, he uh, closed out his first game in the NCAA tournament and touched 100, I believe, for the first time. And you can see you can see his uh, his face in that moment. He's just like totally jacked up about about knowing that he's probably just thrown the hardest he ever has. He's probably going to get drafted a little higher than he planned as a result of it, and uh, and it's just got to feel good too. So yeah, I yeah. When you I hit 100, imagine. you lie and say you're six one when you're really six feet. You've earned that right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, it, while we're talking about short guys, I mean, look at Marcus Stroman and, and the career he's put together, and he's probably all of what five six, five seven, five eight, maybe on a good day. I mean, you know, and and yeah, it's just some of those guys can just get it done. And no, and I I love to hear that honestly because you know Ryan Jensen, I remember when he was drafted by the Cubs in the first round a few years ago, and everybody kind of was like, what the hell? You know, there was a lot of like. He's not even, I think he was like a 45th ranked prospect in the draft or something. The Cubs took him in the first round. And so naturally, again, like we were talking about the pessimism in Cubs Twitter, everybody's freaking the hell out going, what the hell? Why would they take this kid? You know, they don't even know if he's going to be a starter. They don't know if he, you know, is ever going to be worth a damn, blah, blah, blah. They could have gotten him in the second round, you know, you know the narrative. But um, so to hear you, you know, be able to just say, hey, like, He's got it. Like there, there's a reason the Cubs took him in the first round. There's a reason they quote unquote reached on this guy, and and went and got him because it's a guy that they want, and and clearly they're seeing something you know developing with him there. Um, and no, I, I also love hearing that about Cole Franklin. You know, I mean, 
I feel like, you know, like you said, he's kind of that prototypical old school, you know, body frame pitcher, right? He's huge. He's lanky. You know, he, he can throw over the top. He's He's got good, you know, good, a great changeup. I mean, just fits kind of, you know, the prototypical starting pitcher. And I say that with huge air quotes because, you know, we were just talking about, like we said about Ryan Jensen, he might not even be six feet tall. So, I mean, it's 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 nice hearing, you know, kind of that, that affirmation from you, um, somebody who really, you know, truly is, a, is an expert with all this stuff. And, you know, Brian, I mean, there, there's there's so many questions, right, I think a lot of people have about kind of the farm system. And, you know, the re-rankings came out, you know, Ed Howard's at four. Um, obviously, the, the big three for the Cubs are Marquez, Davis, and Amaya. You know, what are, you know, I would say even for just like the top five guys. I mean, I feel like, you know, they're talked about a lot, but maybe not enough. Um, you know, maybe who of the five do you think is maybe getting slept on the most? So, you know, we mentioned the four, Howard, and then Cole Roeder being the fifth guy. You know, are any of them maybe, you know, is there something about one of them that really stands out to you? You know, is there something that, you know, people maybe are missing on one of these guys that people should be excited about? Just would love to pick your brain and, again, continue to hear your great insight about, you know, some of these top kids that we very realistically can see, you know, maybe a little bit in 2021 if there's a ton of injuries or something. And, you know, realistically then in, in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think that my top prospect in the system is Brennan Davis. I think that that ha- that is not a consensus. I think Braylon Marquez probably gets named the number one prospect more often than that. And and I can understand why, he's, you know, 102 mile per hour throwing lefty. It's hard to hard to argue with that. But, but Brennan Davis is somebody who I think the more he plays, he, he's probably only had about, 150 at bats in you know a real minor league game setting that we've seen him at his best and so prospect lists are a little conservative treating him but when people start to see a little more about about how this kid has changed over the years and now the power that he has I mean he's somebody who was rail thin I mean when the Cubs first drafted him and I saw videos and he he was this guy who had a swing designed to hit ground balls and he's, you know, a basketball player first. And he's really just trying to beat out singles. It looked like in the videos. And I did not understand what the Cubs were seeing, much less paying a seven figure bonus for. And then, you know, a couple months later, he's redone his swing. He has a pretty good, pretty good summer in the AZL, but the next year in South Bend, I mean, they held him back for the first month and then he gets there and he's the best player on the team for, for a month and a half gets injured, comes back, struggles a little bit, but, but is still doing, you know, more than enough. And then the Cubs bring him to South Bend last year. And you hear that he struggled a little bit out of the gate against, you know, major league slash triple a pitching. And then by the end of the season was the best guy, the best hitter there. And he's somebody who his power, I think people are really sleeping on. And I think he has a real chance to be a 30 home run guy in the majors. And I don't think that we hear that enough. I think that, that he's more touted as like 2020 guy, you know, 20 home runs, 20 steals athlete first. And I think what's really being missed about him is that I think the projection that you really see in him is with that power. He hits the ball to right field as a right-handed hitter as well as I've seen from a 20-year-old prospect in a long time. And uh, that's what gets me excited about him, and that's why I think he is slept on. I think he's the top 30 prospect in baseball and and will probably end up a little higher by the time he reaches the majors. What year do you see him coming to the Cubs? 
I think he's going to be in double A this year and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, he'll make his own timetable to a certain degree with how he performs. But I think there's no reason to have him leave double A unless he's destroying the ball this year. And so, you know, hopefully he doesn't, hopefully he doesn't struggle so much that he has to go back there in 2022. I, I don't think he will. I think, you know, maybe start slow. That is a tough league to hit in. Although, you know, these minor leagues are going to be so different in 2021. I guess I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but, um, <laughs> I think that in 2022, he probably starts in Iowa. And then, you know, Ron's question about who's the guy that comes up June 1st, that, you know, that there's not a guy in 2021, but Brennan Davis is that guy in 2022 that, you know, when that service time date reaches, assuming we have a baseball season, he's going to be the guy that the Cubs are looking to call up in May or June and excited about putting in their outfield. So, okay, good. So whoever we sign to take over Schwarber's spot, I guess, you know, if we get a, a left fielder or center fielder, or whatever we decide to do with Hap, I don't want it to be more than a one-year contract, mainly because yeah, I agree too. with you. I think Davis could come on in 2022, and even if it's not until June of 2022, find another guy off the scrap heap to keep his seat warm because this kid's coming. I, I love his stuff. I mean, I was like you. I wasn't super pumped when I saw him in the second round in the bonus, but the more I read about him, I'm like, this guy, I don't know, maybe the – I don't want to compare him to Mookie Betts because that's a big, lofty guy to compare him to. But people forget Mookie Betts was a fifth-round pick that Theo Epstein had to convince not to become a pro bowler. There was actually talks. I'm not kidding you guys. Mookie thought about just focusing on bowling at one point, which I think had to have been a joke. There's no way. Because you could clearly do both as he does. Could Brennan Davis bowl? we got to find out if Brennan Davis could bowl (laughs) because that will be a hell of a team to get going. He can't it's golf. Funny. I can tell you that. If you if you see his Instagram, he, he the one thing he's not good at is golfing. So I don't know about bowling, but uh, but I know that Cubs, the Cubs players like to take him to the take him to the local golf course around South Bend this year because I'm guessing he was uh, the easiest guy there to beat. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it, it's exciting too, right? With with a guy like Brennan Davis, because you know, Joe, I love that you brought up the Mookie Betts comparison. Not necessarily just from you know. Obviously, he's you know one of the most elite players in the game right now. But you know he was a fifth round pick in the same draft that a guy that we talked about earlier, Jackie Bradley Jr., was the first round pick. If I remember correctly, I believe they. Yes, were the no, same you're right. Draft. For 2011 yeah. draft. So it's like it's crazy to think that you know that was Theo's last draft in Boston, and he found both of those guys in the first five rounds. Um, you know, ultimately for the Red Sox, and obviously now both of them will more than likely be gone, assuming JDJ doesn't return to the Red Sox for some reason. But um, after seeing them sign Hunter Renfro, I, I feel like they're kind of moving away from JBJ being a permanent fixture. So, But again, you know, them finding a talent like Brennan Davis, you know, a bite in the second round, you know, all of a sudden now he's developing into this, like you said, this elite prospect that Cubs fans are getting very excited about. And it's 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 nice to, to see. And, you know, a guy that, like you said, probably going to start in double A now that the whole system has been slightly reworked in terms of how a ball and low a ball are presented South Bend and Myrtle beach did a quick swip. So it's like, Oh guys that were in South Bend last year at a ball, if they go up are still going to be in South Bend because of the, of the change, which I just me amusing myself because I'm a five year old and at heart. But, um, you know, Brian, another guy that I would really love to hear about again, another friend of the program and, and a guy that, um, you know, I know he put on a ton of muscle. He really bulked up. A lot of people were getting really excited about him, seeing some clips of him, and that's Cole Roeder. 
Um, you know, where do you think he could potentially fit in this future? I know a, kind of a guy that had a lot of the same talks surrounding him as a Brennan Davis where they're like, ah, he could play center, but he's probably going to be a corner guy. You know, so where maybe do you see him fitting? And, you know, is it a, a case of maybe when Brennan Davis gets up and is there just not a place for Cole, you know, within this organization? Like, kind of what do you, you know, think about Cole Roeder and, and his development timeline and, you know, everything now going forward into 2021? Yeah, Cole's. I was really excited to see Cole in 2020. He's one of the guys who I who I'm sort of the most bummed that we didn't get to see because he did add a bunch of muscle. You can just see if you know he's another guy you follow on Instagram. You look at pictures from two years ago. You look at pictures from today. There's a big difference. You're going to see it. Um, but he's a guy you mentioned that, and and I had heard the same things when he was drafted. He plays center field now. He's probably gonna probably gonna go to a corner. He's kind of you, you almost like thought of him as kind of like a Brian Giles, I want to say, you know, maybe a J.D. Drew type where a shorter left-handed hitter can squeeze in center but goes to a corner, hits for some hits for more power than you would expect for his size. But when I saw him in South Bend in 2019, he, he, he was a little different to me. He's a guy that I think is a true center fielder. I think he's really good sure. defensively there. He, he, um, he was a little shiftier and faster than I had expected based on those scouting reports. And, and then the bat wasn't as advanced in terms of, I guess, the power department as we had thought it might be based on those scouting reports. So I, when I see Cole now, I think of him a little differently. I think of him as a real center fielder that you're just um, you're waiting to see where that bat's going to take him. I know the Cubs have worked with him a lot on, you know, don't fall in love with that power. Don't don't sort of believe the hype in terms of what you are as a prospect. We think more of you. We think of you as a guy that can hit for average. He's he's really talented kid in terms of bat to ball, but he can get a little pull happy. So the Cubs I know have preached left center field to him a ton, and and I think they really believe that his hit tool can come around a lot and and be that center fielder that that can hit for a good average that does have pop when, you know, you throw him a fastball in the inner half, he's going to hit it on a Sheffield, but more, he's a, he's a guy who go gets, goes and gets the ball in center and then can, can hit for a good enough average to make it in the majors. I think he can get there. And I, and I, I'm still a believer. Do you think he's a guy that could ever be a leadoff hitter or do you think his bat slots him more so in, you know, maybe like a two hole or even lower, like a, you know, five, six, seven, eight hole. You know, those distinctions are so weird nowadays. I wouldn't have thought of Ian Happ as the leadoff hitter. And, you know, here we are. I think that, I think he is, he sees the strike zone really well. So I think he's going to take some walks. So I do think that if the Cubs um, preach what they're preaching, uh, ends up taking hold on him and he does, spray the ball all over the field and hits for enough average. Sure. I think he could absolutely be one. And, you know, all the better if you have a guy in the leadoff spot that hits for some average, takes his walks and has some pop. I mean, that's, that's what you're hoping for. That's, you know, what the Cubs see in Ian Happ and that's why they have him there. You know, I think that, I think they're still hoping that all those pieces come together when he's batting in the first spot that that hasn't quite happened yet. But yeah, I think, I think Cole could get there. I, you know, there's, he's still, I'm not going to say that his bat's there yet. There's a, there's some real development that needs to happen between now and, and leading off in Wrigley Field, but 
Uh, I could see it. Absolutely. So yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Hap as the leadoff guy because it sounds like Ross says he's more than happy with him there. From what I saw on Twitter today, I guess David Ross did uh, like a conference on Marquee, which I don't have anymore because Hulu doesn't have it anymore. Damn it, they got to figure that out. That's another podcast we could talk about. But um, that's why I think the Cubs are in an interesting spot and the fans don't really get what they're trying to do. I believe the Cubs are trying to do – that's why the term restart was used instead of rebuild and a bridge year, whatever people want to call it. But they have marquee, which is guaranteed revenue. So if the Cubs are in complete rebuild mode – which I, which we we know they're not going to do. I I, I believe one hundred percent they're not going to tear anything down. They need ratings. Ratings will bring them revenue. But anyway, mm-hmm. Ian Happ, I'm okay with him in the leadoff spot too. I actually kind of like him there because he does work a lot of walks and he does work the count. Strikes out a, a, a lot, sure. But I'm kind of I even though I one hundred percent believe we need to have be we need a couple more high contact bats because you know the missing of, of Ben Zobers type really hurt us. But I don't think we need a lead. You don't really need a high contact bat in the leadoff spot so much because what killed the Cubs so much this past year was how many times we have a runner in third or bases loaded, good Lord, with nobody out or one out, and it was strikeout, strikeout, end of the inning. If we could have a guy in the five hole who has a high contact bat, that's where you want the high contact bats, I feel like, in some of those RBI positions. And I know, you know, I was a big RBI's overrated, but it's. It's overrated in the sense of how you measure a player because it's obviously they didn't put the runners on base in front of them. It's a you know situational spot, but you definitely want guys who know how to produce in that spot. I was thinking about Ramos Ramirez recently. He struck out like sixteen percent of the time. He was a really good high contact bat, batting fourth or fifth, and would drive in one hundred twenty runs a year as a result of it. So I think we need more of those high contact bats in the middle of the lineup as opposed to batting one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, I've, as I've been looking back at 2020 and we talked about the struggles against left-handed pitching, I think that, I think we focus so much on Chris Bryant and Javier Baez's struggles, but I don't think we focus enough on if Wilson Contreras had been the guy that he was showing in July all season long, I think, I think the Cubs offense ends up in a totally different place. His, his 2020 offensive season it was in some ways to me the most bizarre of any of them because he was so hot in July and he's a guy that's always hit left-handed pitching. Well, a guy that you can really count on in the middle of the order when guys are on base and it just didn't happen last year. And I think that if, I think if he's the guy in the fifth spot, that's going to be a real key for the 2021 Cubs is, is he, can he get those guys on second, third in, you know, if they, if, the, if there's a lefty starter on the mound, can he be the guy in the lineup that we can count on to crush to crush that starter out of the game? I mean, that's so key for the Cubs. And his struggles, really, I think, as I reflect back more and more on 2020, are the, is maybe the one that had the biggest effect in some ways, if that makes sense. No, it does. It was definitely, it became comical. Like, you know, at first you'd get mad where you'd be like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. How many times are we going to get the bases loaded, which is a good thing. You're clearly doing something right. You're getting men on base. And how many times are we just going to utterly choke? And then it got to a point, you know, you're mad at first, and then it got to a point where it was like funny, like sad funny, where you're like, "This, this is a sick joke. This is like, this is historically bad, it felt like. I've never seen a team so bad with the bases loaded 
in less than two outs than the Cubs in 2020. And in a small sample, granted, 60-game season. So I'd like to imagine in a, in a better world where there's a full 162, we would have just gone off in the second half. So many pessimistic Cubs fans were like, oh, if there was a full season, no way we win the division. I like to think if there was a full season, Javier Baez and Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras and Rizzo and Schwarber all end up being the guys they typically are on the back of their baseball card. So that was frustrating, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a weird year. And, yeah, I agree. I think Wilson, you know, really of the guys kind of in the lineup to me is the guy that screams, hey, I can be that contact hit. I mean, think back to, what was it, the 2017 season before he got hurt late in the year? I mean, he was an RBI machine that year. I he think was an he, MVP guy, yeah, I thought, that one year. Yeah, I mean, he was he was at, you know, 75 RBIs, I think, by the end of July. I mean, he was just pumping them out. And then he got hurt and just missed most of the entire, you know, August and September then. And that, you know, just kind of derailed the season. But, I mean, he was unbelievable. So, yeah, you figure if a guy like him gets back to – you know, his potential, and then that helps out guys like Javi, and then helps out guys like Chris, you know, assuming he's still around in 2021, and obviously guys like Rizzo, who I think if Rizzo doesn't retire a Cub, I I would believe that the moon is truly made of cheese, because I just don't see it happening of him leaving the Cubs, but that's neither here nor there. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's you know, it's good knowing that they have some of those guys already there, but I agree, you know, Joe, with you, like, Maybe another high contact bet is would be fantastic. Maybe a guy like a Tommy Lastella. I know the Cubs have at least been semi thrown into the conversation for a guy like a Michael Brantley, who hits consistently in the one thirties for WRC plus. I mean that is just the definition of a high contact guy when he's healthy, of course. I know he's had injury issues over his entire career. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go with that and and how that, you know, continues to open up. Um I have one more question for you, Brian, and then Joe, if you have any more. and then I have can... one more, and it's a fun one, I think. Okay, but yeah, perfect. go ahead, Ron. Um, uh, Brian, a guy I would like to hear a little bit about from you is uh, Chase Strumpf. I feel like his name has been thrown around quite a bit as like, a, this guy's got something there, but a lot of people just don't know who he is. I know you know he was the second-round pick in the same draft as Ryan Jensen, if I remember correctly, so that was the 2018 draft. Um, you know, I believe out of UCLA, second baseman. You know, what... Just kind of, you know, what what are your observations of him as a ball player? And, you know, does he potentially kind of fit a need for the Cubs maybe in, you know, 2022, 2023 of being that everyday second base guy? Or does Nico maybe have that locked down in the future and, and Strumpf maybe someday becomes more of a trade chip, um, you know, to another organization when, you know, the Cubs are ideally in World Series contention again and need to trade for somebody at the deadline? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about Chase. I think he was the Cubs' best player in the instructional league they had in Arizona this fall. When I talked to Cubs front office officials that were there, they saw increased athleticism. They were trying him out at new positions. They they actually felt better about his ability to stay at second base, but they also tried him out at third base. They tried him out in left field a little bit, I think even maybe shortstop. And, you know, if I read between the lines at what the front office guys were saying, they didn't make this comparison for me, but I almost thought about Kike Hernandez for the Dodgers and the role that he plays for them or played for them could be a really similar thing to what Chase could do with the Cubs as a guy who gives you that right-handed pop off the bat, off the bench and can fill in at a couple different positions. I'm actually really excited about him. I think he's a guy that could start the season in high A, but end up in like triple A or something. He's an advanced hitter 
really smart, uh, has that ability to sort of backspin a baseball that you don't see, you know, a typical thing out of a prospect in that way. And I'm excited about him. Awesome. I was going to say, that's an exciting comparison because, you know, even though Kiki, Kiki Hernandez might not be the, this, like, you know, like you said, the, this flashy everyday player, you still need guys like that on your team to win a World Series. I mean, Ben Zobrist was probably a, a very glorified kind of utility guy in that nature, but, you know, that was a, he was a key part to that 2016 team. You know, Tommy Lastello was a key part to the Cubs' success coming off the bench when he was here. So, I mean, those guys are just as important if, you know, he's still going to play potentially 100 games. I mean, Kiki Hernandez, I feel like, is in the lineup almost every other day because he can, you know, play so many different places. You know, that that would be a, a, a actually really, you know, well-needed kind of player for, you know, this team kind of moving forward. So, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you had more insight because, again, I feel like, you know, Strumpf is just this guy that, you know, he was drafted, people learned a little bit about him, and then they just kind of forgot about him. And I, I think he's a guy, you know, he's currently ranked ninth in, in the, you know, Cubs uh, prospect pool. I think, yeah, like you said, I think he's a guy that, you know, and especially now, you know, hearing it like from you and, and people that have actually seen him kind of advance now, um, it's really exciting to know that, hey, you know, they might have gotten something here, you know, you know some of these second I round think picks. He hit, I think he hit two opposite field home runs and in instructs, and if you want to get front office guys just going crazy about a hitter, especially a young prospect, if a guy goes oppo at that level, like, front office guys will never forget that. And I think I talked to two different people. They both brought up the exact same hits. It's like, it's going to stick out in their minds, I think for the next year and a half until Chase does, you know, even better things. And so he has some real pop that excites them in addition to the versatility. So yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's one to watch in 2021 for sure. That's awesome. That's super exciting. Well, I'm, I'm out of questions. So Joe, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for yours. Well, yeah, I was looking at your Twitter uh, profile, and I love that you have prospecting since Patterson because Corey Patterson was like the first big prospect I remember as a Cubs fan coming up uh, in high school, I believe. And I just want to ask you, where do you think Corey Patterson went wrong and why he never turned into the thing everyone thought he was going to be? Yeah, I think that, I, I mean, I think that pitch selection which wasn't a thing we focused on much back in the early 2000s was a, was a huge thing for him. I, I mean, it, it wasn't as easy as just drawing walks, which I think was a, such a focus when he started to struggle there early. That was like right at the start of the Moneyball era. And, you know, he comes up and I think, you know, goes, I think he went a month at a time between walks early on. And, and that was a problem, but it was also, you know, just, just pitch judgment overall, what pitches to swing at, what pitches not to swing at. That's something that, uh, that I think we're beginning to focus on more and still don't even do that good of a job of, but, but you can see that Corey's a guy that fell through the cracks in that way where people were so excited about the tools, the, you know, breathtaking speed and a lot of pop for a guy, his size, and you fall in love with that. But then I think if you watched, you know, the pitches that he would chase, and the times in the at-bat that he would commit to a pitch. I mean, he, I think, gave up a little too early in a lot of at-bats on pitches that were pitch, pitchers' pitches and didn't wait for for the pitch he could hit. And then, uh, you know, if he got behind two strikes, he was just a guy, you know, like a lot of 2020 Cubs that was pretty easy to beat. And so, uh, yeah, he that one still hurts, but... You know, he gave us some moments. I, I still wonder what happens if the injury doesn't doesn't uh, go down. But 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't think maybe that, that he was going to become a, the player we envisioned, but maybe a better, better outcome than what actually turned out. Yeah, he was always a great base runner, even after the injury. So, yeah, I kind of wonder that, too. In 2003, everyone, and Kate, we're going way back now, he came up and was fantastic and then injured himself, I believe, running hard down the first baseline, if I'm correct. Yeah. 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 And then we got Kenny Lofton to replace him, and Lofton was awesome for us, was so crucial in getting on base. I felt like he always left the game getting on base and would score, and we'd get that one to nothing lead that was so crucial. And then the Cubs decided, well, we got Corey Patterson, so why would we bring back Lofton, who's older, which even I at the time was like, yeah, that makes sense. But then later it was like, damn it, we should have kept Lofton. He was only a couple million bucks, too. And, and then that made me think of Dexter Fowler, too, the next year. It's like you get these leadoff guys. Sometimes you just got to hold on to them, overpay them even. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. Lofton was – or not Lofton, I'm sorry. Patterson was just that guy. I, I don't think he ever really mastered the minors, and we brought him up, and he started to look good at the pro level, and it was like, all right, this is a top prospect. Let's just bring him along because we feel we need to. I was looking at his minor league numbers the other day, and they were not that good. He was a minus. I mean, granted, this is fan graphs. I don't know how accurate, but, like, in 2002 in the minors, he was barely above – he was a 0.2 war player, and yeah, he had, he had WRC pluses in the minors of 76, 55, 42. And then 2003 with the Cubs, that great first half, he was a 113. Um, I thought his problem was, and maybe you remember this too, Brian, was he was a dude that had the swing of a big power bat, but didn't have the skills to be a big power bat. He should have been more geared towards being like a guy who could be a table setter because he had that great speed. I think he stole 45 bases in 05 with the Orioles. Um, but he was just kind of like in between. Not not big enough to be a true power guy, but didn't have like the back control to be like a table setter. And those guys just always seem to fade away after a while. Like Felix PA kind of profiled the same way. Mm. There's another yeah, name, he, Felix PA. Yeah, he, he, he did have a long swing. And, um, and yeah, he just... He, his strikeout rates, I don't think, were that bad in the minors, and then he got to the majors, and they really ballooned. So just a, you know another example, and this has changed a little bit in the last twenty years of just the the jump between the minors and the majors was in terms of the caliber of pitching was more significant in two thousand than than you see now. I mean, now there's so many guys who can throw ninety five with a good breaking ball that I don't think that I think if you're performing well in the high minors. Um, it's a little more translatable than it was back then where, you know, there were some guys in the majors throwing pitches that, you know, a guy like Corey Patterson had never seen before. Yeah. There's not too many four a players, you know, it used to be a lot of four a yeah. guys back in the, like the early two thousands and stuff like that. And right before money books, I think the money ball era, what it did too, is kind of get an idea of who knows the strike zone and that projects better at all levels. Like if you know not to swing at, you know, crap in the dirt at double A, you're probably going to know not to do that as you advance along, you know, the different uh, levels. But, uh, he was just, I remember that guy being, and then that, that's when I had to check myself though, as a fan, whenever I heard about a, a hyped up Cubs prospect, I had to double check. I'm like, wait a minute now, is this prospect hyped up by the Cubs and, and local media, or is this guy a legit national prospect? Because I feel like Corey Patterson was more hyped up locally than he ever was nationally. Not to say he didn't get national attention, because you know he was a you know a big high school prospect out of Georgia, and at the time Georgia was producing a ton of MLB talent. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he, I, that might be one where you're misremembering because I do think that he was, I, I mean, I might be wrong with this, but I think he was Baseball America's number one prospect. Damn, was he? All yeah. right, maybe I'm thinking In of Fields PA then. I, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to look it up and make sure I'm right, but I believe that uh, I believe the hype with Corey was was all around. But I mean, I I think that speed w- speed is one of those things that has also changed in the last twenty years, where that tool was such a big deal in terms of it could really. He was number two. I'm looking it up now, but um. Oh wow! So I was I'll leave my words really on that change. one. I was way off. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I was but, thinking of Fields PA. Yeah, Felix PA is yeah, that's a good example of somebody that that was more hyped up and then, you know, you go down to like Junior Lake who was only oh, hyped, you know, I don't think he was ever written up by a prospect outlet, but you know, he had a a good first two weeks and we got really excited about like Junior Jake Fox Lake. and like the Hoff Power. Yeah. Although Jake Fox had like 12 home runs and like 100 at bats when we brought him up in like God, what year was that? Oh, 05 or 06 or something. It was when Derek Lee got hurt. I think 2006. Derek Lee broke his wrist because of Rafael Fercal. And Rafael Fercal was the guy the Cubs should have signed that previous offseason. But we were, we didn't want to spend the extra $2 million annually or something like that. It was some weird number where it's like, just pay the guy. Yeah, Jake Fox had a run, I think, in I looked it up a year or two ago in AAA right before the Cubs called him up where it's like they're like legit Barry Bonds numbers for – for a good half of a season and, and then had a, had a pretty good start. I don't really, I don't even really have a good memory of why that ended. I, I, I had started to believe that that was going to be a thing. And, and then it was sort of gone as quick, as quickly as it came. There was some weird stuff like that in the Jim Hendry era, you know, um, yeah. maybe we'll do another podcast in a couple months. Cause there'll be nothing else to talk about where we could just take trips down memory lane. I can't believe I was exactly. dead off on Patterson. I don't know why I thought that we overhyped him more than the national media. Just, it's just something about. I remember seeing his swing when he first came up, thinking that swing's too long. It seemed like we were yeah. talking about like height wise, and obviously height doesn't matter in baseball like it does in basketball. But when you see a guy that's five nine, five ten, and he's just a super long swing, it doesn't look right. Especially a lefty. Lefties need to have that sexy swing for me to get excited about them as a prospect. Yeah, I hear that. Right. I mean, yeah. If we want to quickly just take a you know trip down memory lane i don't know if anybody remembers but trey mcnutt was the cubs number five prospect in 2011 so um what's brett jackson josh bitters up to i want to do a where are they now segment we'll go over that era we'll go a little bit before we'll talk about roosevelt brown and some people like that who's the guy that was helping the cubs this year with weather wasn't that a that was a failed prospect of some repute it might have been brett jackson but i the Cubs, the Cubs, uh, you know how we had in the broadcast in Marquee this year, they showed what wind direction was was in all five parts of the field. That was uh, that was using some technology that a former Cub prospect had uh, had had helped the Cubs with. So somebody out there, let me know who that was. Yeah, who was that? I, remember, I know what you're talking about too. Maybe it was Brett Jackson. But I remember Brett Jackson, Josh Vitters, and there's just a few other ones before that where it's just like, oh, my God. And that's another thing. You know, we get a, we get annoyed with the Cubs Twitter fan base. And, you know, a lot of people are like, rebuild. I'm like, you guys forget rebuilding is hard. Most rebuilds yeah. do not work. And even rebuilds that are kind of successful still, like the Detroit Tigers rebuild from like 05 to 2011 or whatever, that was a good run that did not result in a World Series. Like you could have 
like people hit and you still don't like the Dodgers finally just won a World Series um, despite having the best farm system since Jackie Robinson and spending $200 million a year. Like it's hard to do. So this idea of just rebuild it like it's going to happen the same way it did is crazy for our fan base to think that way. And and it's just, yeah, it's something that people just need to calm down and relax about. Um, prospects, you know, like people are like, we only hit, like the only hit on first round picks. Jim Hendry didn't hit in first round picks almost ever. We'll have your bias, but it it's even drafting in the first round is difficult. This isn't the NFL, which yeah. obviously the Bears don't know how to do, but like, you know, it's people just need to relax a little bit, let these guys develop and have some faith in the fact that this isn't the Cubs of 20 years ago. We do have smart people in charge and they are adapting. Like, like you said, we've got nine guys who could touch 98. So clearly adaptions are being made. We have a pitch lab. We got players. There's hitting guys coming in. And I think they're forward thinking. We need to be pumped up about that. I think, a, I think a rebuild, a rebuild peaking in a season like the 2020 Cubs had is, is more typical than people think, or, you know, not even getting that good. And so you're not going to tear down for a full rebuild and, you know, maybe end up not even at the same spot that you are right now. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me either. I think that I, I think the Cubs absolutely have the financial wherewithal to, you know, if they want to take a step back for a year, I get it, but they're not, they're not going to tear everything down. You know, I, I think this talk of, of trading you Darvish and Wilson Contreras and everything that's not absolutely tied down. It's just a little crazy. I think we're, I think we're at that part of the off season, maybe where we're just getting a little, a little nuts. I 100% agree. A little stir crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. And I agree with both of you guys. And um, while we're at it, we'll add Arizmendi Alcantara um, to the, where are they now list? I think that's another good name um, that some people forget, yeah. but um well, I'll tell you what. I mean, this was a great episode. We talked about a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, literally everything from, you know, a bunch of different names in the prospect pool and as well as, you know, throwing it back to talking about Corey Patterson and, and some of those other guys. And, and Brian, I want to thank you for your time. And I just want to quickly remind that our listeners that Cubs on Tap is the official Cubs podcast of the On Tap Sports Network. You can find all of our great literature and podcasting needs over at www.ontapsportsnet.com and at ontapsportsnet on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've got it all, every Chicago sports covered. So once again, www.ontapsportsnet.com and at ontapsportsnet on social media. The ONTAP Sports Network, go ahead and check out what's on tap in Chicago sports. Brian, like I said, thank you again for you jumping on with us. This was awesome. Love picking your brain and, and, and getting your insight about, you know, hopefully what is the future of this Cubs organization and, um, we hope to have you get on again very soon, hopefully maybe before the end of the off season and, and baseball's back. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for joining us and we appreciate having you on. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Love yeah, your stuff, man. I had a blast guys. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Thanks man. We will do that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get out of here. The only way we know how to let's go. Cubbies. They're singing, go Cubbies.